Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett led an elite group of scientists into the desert to develop a top-secret project known as Quantum Leap. Pressured to prove his theories or lose funding, Dr. Beckett prematurely stepped into the Project Accelerator and vanished. In the blink of a cosmic clock, I went from quantum physicist to Air Force test pilot, which could have been fun if I knew how to fly. Fortunately, I had help. An observer from the project named Al. Unfortunately, Al's a hologram, so all he can lend is moral support. Anyway, here I am. Bouncing around in time, putting things right that once went wrong. A sort of time-traveling Lone Ranger with Al as my tanto. And I don't even need a mask. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 14, Good Morning Peoria. Woof, 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 woof. Oh my God, I'm a DJ. I can't believe it. Without rock and roll, I am dead. It was my ticket to number one. Now what am I going to do? I'll be lucky if I don't have to sell the station in a year. She could hold out another 18 months if she doesn't eat. Well, pay me salary. Maybe I had Ziggy run some figures, and it's Grim with a capital G. Maybe now all we can do is pull up the drawbridge, get ready for the dark ages. That's it. Ladies and gentlemen, this afternoon, the city council passed a law effective immediately that forbids the airplay of music known as rock and roll. Now, we here at WOF believe that is wrong. And accordingly, we intend to keep playing rock and roll until we can persuade them to change their minds. I want to have the number one radio station in the universe. But right now, it's sort of just getting right back on the air. Maybe I can help you with that. Good morning, Leapers, and welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I am Albie. And I'm Heather. And we're here for you all morning long, playing the tunes of Quantum Leap and talking about the episode, Good Morning Peoria. I don't know if I can sound like that. That does get old kind of quick, doesn't it? What did you think about Good Morning Peoria? This was a great episode. I really liked Sam in his element with the DJ role. He really took to it. It seemed like uh, either he wanted to do it his whole life or that parts of Howl and Chick Howell's brain was in there and uh, gave him the ability to do what he does best. How'd you like doing that little personality in the beginning? I don't think I could do it all the time. I'd rather be myself like I normally am. I don't even know how I would do that, but it sounds so cool. Like you did a great job. But Sam really does get to be a different person and try out all these different personalities. But I think this one he had the most fun in. And off the bat, he had a good chemistry with Rachel Porter. I don't know if that was from Chuck Howell or if that was just an instant connection he made with her. Well, at first, he seemed like he didn't like her, but that often leads to a relationship anyway. (laughs) Just like Al had said, you know, pulling the pigtails of the girl that you like. But I, I don't know if Brian had influence on that, saying that Chuck liked her or if that was part of Chuck. I don't know. But they definitely have chemistry. I liked their interaction this whole episode. I really liked the episode. It was nice to just see Sam have fun and have 
it wasn't a life or death situation. It wasn't very heavy. It was just everybody having fun. And it was for something important, freedom of speech. And Chubby Checker was in it. And it was about rock and roll, unless you watch the American DVD version. Then it was about background elevator music. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I liked the whole romance. And just for me, it was mostly about the relationship between Rachel and Sam. And I really liked that. I liked that this was a fun episode with an important meaning. We didn't get to experience this span of rock and roll and that whole time period. I can't even imagine not being able to listen to whatever music I wanted to listen to. It is kind of silly, especially rock and roll, which now they play things in the elevator that are much heavier than that. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because the music that they consider rock and roll is so not the rock and roll that we're used to. Right. It's like what you would play at your kid's birthday party with a 50s theme. You know, it, there's nothing bad about it. What they saw bad about it, I have no idea. There were still things going on like that in my own lifetime. When I was a teenager, they actually made an album illegal. Two Live Crew, I believe, was nasty as they want to be. Really? Yeah, it was a rap album. But the only thing that did was make everybody want a copy. I have noticed that that's kind of how that works. I mean... Oh, look at the rock and roll in this episode. Oh, you want to ban rock and roll? We're just going to play it louder. I would agree with Sam's opinion in this episode where rock and roll does not do that to people. And we've had 50 years to prove that rock and roll doesn't corrupt minors. The parents are afraid that rock and roll is going to make kids want to have sex and do bad things and do all this stuff. But in all reality, I mean, kids are growing up. They want to know what the world's about. They are going to have to experience all these things that are new to them. And what their friends are doing is more, I think, of an influence than rock and roll. Why do people of every generation think that the whatever's new or different and maybe they don't like is going to corrupt their children? Because the parents today weren't growing up listening to rock and roll or even hippie music or disco. I mean, parents of today were growing up listening to Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. But they shouldn't listen to Miley Cyrus. Definitely not because she's twerking. Well, I mean, it's I think people forget their childhood and forget what they went through in their teenage years and forget how they felt as a teenager. And they just get into this mindset of you can't do that. You can't try it. You can't do it. Instead of let me talk to you about this, tell you what I experienced and help you transition through these years. Because parents get to a point where they don't understand what it was like to be a kid anymore. I mean, I, I'm going to try my hardest, like when my daughter gets to that age to, to still be grounded enough to be honest with her and tell her my experiences. And obviously, she's not going to learn through my mistakes. She's going to learn through her own mistakes. But I think that trying to stop your child from being exposed from something is only going to one, they're only going to want it more. And two, you're not helping them to make the right decisions just by sheltering them from something like you need to prepare your children to make the right decision in any situation, not avoid situations because you don't think they're going to make the right decision. Most kids will make the right decision if you give them the trust and let them go a little bit like they need a little bit of, you know, freedom to make the right decision. If you make every decision for them or shelter them like from listening to rock and roll because you think that there's a possibility that it could lead to bad things. How are they ever going to make the right decisions? How are they going to trust that they can make their own decisions for themselves? Would you be upset if your daughter listened to rock and roll? Obviously not. I'm sure there's going to be something when she becomes a teenager that is the new thing to be afraid of. 
who knows what it's going to be by the time she's a teenager. I can't even anticipate it. Klingon opera. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe. Well, what would be the modern bad thing that gets listened to? I guess rap. I think some rap, but I think that the like no clothes, I think the way that people dress and act is a little bit differently than it's more visual now than it was back then. So it's Miley Cyrus half naked performing or Lady Gaga in her outfits so she's not even as bad as when she first came out but i think that the appearances are more what parents are afraid of what their children are wearing because of who's on the screen well i think it's good that all these women are mostly naked right now which means by the time serenity is older the thing that's going to be cool is to be covered from head to toe as long as it doesn't keep getting skimpier i don't think that's possible yeah i mean really Unless she's unless they're all naked by the time <laughs> Serenity is a teenager, I, I really don't know. Mom, every shirt has their nipples cut out nowadays. There's nothing we can do about it. Oh my god, don't even I don't even want to think about it. But I really hope that I can I can try to understand. Like Fred Beeman's wife was really down to earth. You know, she was trying to reason with her husband. I mean, it's really only music. And I, I hope that I can kind of be like her when I'm faced with that issue, you know. And try and see that it, it is just whatever it is, music or clothes or whatever the new trend is then. I think this generation has an advantage to where we realize that it's not music and things in pop culture that are going to be the undoing of our children because we've had generation after generation of examples that that's just not the case. Of course, you're still going to have some myopic people that don't want to know anything and just continue doing what was done in the past, uh, sheltering their children, keeping them away from whatever's new or popular out of fear. I'm hoping that now that we have so much access to internet and knowledge that we'll have less and less sheltered, uneducated people. The internet can be a dangerous place because you never know what you, what's true or not. But as long as people are seeking knowledge, and I think that the generation that is blossoming now, like the young adults and, and high schoolers and the people that are going to ultimately run our futures, they have all this knowledge at their fingertips that are just ready to access. So I'm hoping that everybody is a little bit more open minded in the future. But I've said that before. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast on 823 on your podcast dial. The episode recap is brought to you by a local advertiser this time, Mr. Joey's Charter Fishing Boats and Salon. Get your hair cut while you fish. If you happen to be in the South Florida area or on vacation in the South Florida area and you came down to fish and you need a haircut and you don't have time for both, who better than Mr. Joey's Charter Boats and Salon? Get your hair cut while you fish. Symmetry is not guaranteed. And now here's Heather with the episode recap. This is season two, episode number six, Good Morning Peoria. Original broadcast date, November 8th, 1989. Written by Chris Rapunzel and directed by Michael Zinberg. Sam has leapt into a disc jockey by the name of Howlin' Chick Howell. He is still on the air and after a long pause and visual cues from Howell's producer and co-presenter Brian reads out a commercial for a local ice cream store and plays a Pat Boone record. His freezing on air angers his producer, the station owner, Rachel Porter. After a brief argument, as Rachel had rubbed Sam the wrong way, it looked like Rachel was going to fire him, but just told him to sign off, but warned him not to be late the next day or he would be fired. After signing off, Brian, who has a shift immediately after Sam, 
comments on Howell having the hots for Rachel. Sam immediately dismisses the idea. As Sam is leaving, he notices Rachel in the middle of another argument, this time with one of her advertisers, local businessman Fred Beeman, who wants her to stop playing rock and roll music on her station, claiming that it promoted bad behavior in the teenagers of the neighborhood. Sam and Rachel both find this claim laughable. Sam tells Fred that it is the responsibility of the parents to promote wholesome family values and to control what their children listen to, but Fred states it is impossible to watch their children 24 hours a day and that the moment a parent's back is turned, the children do what they want. Rachel refuses to stop playing rock and roll, so Fred pulls his advertising from the station, saying that other businesses will do the same, and states that she might still have to stop playing rock and roll. Rachel refuses, so Fred pulls his advertising from the station, saying that other businesses will do the same, and states that she might still have to stop playing rock and roll, as a new bill is being proposed in the town's council to ban it being played on local airwaves. Sam leaves and discusses the situation with Al, both thinking that such a law could never pass, but as they walk to Howell's car, it is covered in graffiti, showing that there is support of the proposed action. The next day, Sam arrives on time to Rachel's shock, and with Al's help, Picking the rock and roll records and topics to discuss, he gives an extremely entertaining broadcast, talking about the Russians going into space and an interview with a very perverted invisible man. A vandal throws a brick through the window, which hits the radio unit, temporarily causing them to go off the air, but Sam is able to repair it. Meanwhile, Al recognizes a man walking past and speaking to Brian as Chubby Checker, who has come to ask for his demo, The Twist, to be played. When Al tells Sam who it is, Sam is starstruck and starts dancing the twist, which Chubby Checker loves and asks to use in his act. Al makes Sam tell Rachel to play the demo as it will send the station to number one in Peoria. Later that day, he joins Rachel at the council meeting and both are shocked to find that the law has passed effective immediately. Rachel is devastated as by playing rock and roll, she was actually making money. She worries that without it, she could lose her station and her livelihood. And Al tells Sam that this is why he leapt here as that is exactly what happened. A comment by Rachel saying that she needed to raise the drawbridge and prepare for the Dark Ages sparks an idea in Sam. Sam and Rachel return to the radio station, barricade the entryways, and on the air make a public show of protest against the new law. After reading a speech of Fred Beeman's which defamed rock and roll music as half-articulate speech of long-haired radicals, they say that all speech is protected by the First Amendment and so they have every right to continue playing rock and roll and that they intend to do so immediately playing a rock and roll song. Beeman calls the station and Rachel confirms that they are serious. Beeman wants Sam and Rachel arrested, but his friend Councilman Frank Stewart convinces him otherwise as it could cause bad publicity for him in the upcoming election. Beeman then has the power to the station cut. Sam is able to start a generator in the basement to restore the power, but there is only enough power generated to be able to run the radio unit, so they have to make do without any air conditioning. Beeman calls the station again, claiming that he might not return his advertising even if they do stop and that the bad publicity from the protest could drive away other businesses. Rachel calls his bluff, knowing that Beeman and Stewart don't want any bad publicity either and states that when she hangs up, she would call every news outlet in the state, which she does. Soon the station is surrounded by news reporters. The protest also gathers supporters who start chanting. Rachel and Sam start to bond, and Sam puts on a favorite song of his, The Glory of Love by The Five Keys, and dances with Rachel. With things getting hot and heavy, they start to make out, but at the same time, the transmission cables to the radio station are cut, stopping their airplay. Rachel thinks this was all a trick of Sam's to be alone with her, 
but is convinced otherwise when Sam is able to use the station's copper drain pipes to create a circuit and get back on the air once again. A furious Beeman decides enough is enough, grabs an axe, and starts chopping away at their front door. At the same time, Sam found something, a newspaper article written by Beeman himself at the end of World War II. Sam reads it out on the air. It is a touching article which thanked the fallen soldiers and stated that it was all for freedom. When Sam says all we want is a little freedom too, Beeman is stunned and realizing he now doesn't have hope, walks off in defeat. Rachel and Sam exit the station to thunderous applause and Al tells Sam that the station goes to number one and that Rachel and Howell get married. Rachel tells Sam to buy her breakfast after he finishes his shift. And with a final howl, Sam leaps. Second chances I won't get Wouldn't dare to hold And yet everywhere I turn I see your silhouette Been so long But I never will forget Somewhere Inside my dreams you burn so bright And I'm with you there and everything's alright Somewhere in the night Before the darkness turns to light Let me love you there Somewhere in the night Time after time I find that I'm Up on the hill I see you still But I just can't reach but Who would answer your prayers? And that was a little bit of Somewhere in the Night, requested by Andrew Carden. He requested that song because it's beautiful and it reminds him of a long-lost love. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you to Hayden McQueenie for that episode recap. He wrote it all himself because we couldn't find one. So we really appreciate that. Yes, thanks, Hayden. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast on WQLP 823 on your AM dial. Today's show is brought to you by Canpakes, pancakes in a can. Heather, how many times has this happened to you? It's around dinner time. Someone that lives with you brings home company, and there's not enough food. What do you do? 
I open can cakes, pancakes in a can. That's right. Any situation, anytime, food is needed. These are shelf stable in a can. They're pancakes in a can. They're can cakes. What could be easier than opening up a can of can cakes? Delicious. They come in blueberry and chocolate chip, and of course, plain. Now with maple cubes, they are four times better than syrup. Thank you very much to the people at Canpakes, Pancakes in a Can for sponsoring this show. Go to quantumlypodcast.com slash canpakes for more information. C-A-N-P-A-K-E-S. Canpakes, they're pancakes in a can. This episode is about freedom of speech. Yeah, I, I, in a simpler note, yeah. I mean, there's protests and and all sorts of freedom of speech sort of stuff. Peaceful protest. Heather, could you please read us the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America? Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Grievances, like during Festivus. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't, I, I feel so, how many years has it been since I was in high school? I feel like I don't know what that means anymore. <laughs> it's my favorite amendment that I know of. That would make sense. Freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom to peacefully assemble. I mean, that's all important things to have freedom in a country, I think. And freedom of religion is a good, that's a big thing in our country. Yes, uh, we don't have a state-sponsored religion and we don't have to be a certain religion or any religion. We can uh, believe what we want to believe and feel what we want to feel. I can't imagine things like that being mandated by laws, but there are some countries out there where it is. Yeah, I mean, you have the social norms here, but it's okay to be different. I never thought of music or being able to play or listen to music as anything to do with the First Amendment because I never really thought of it as an issue. But it's definitely the First Amendment. I mean, it's a way to express yourself. Playing music, listening to music, writing music, however you are engaging in the music, um, it's definitely a way to express yourself. And that falls into freedom of speech for sure. Do you think this episode did a good job in teaching people a lesson about the importance of the freedom of speech? I would hope so. At least I would hope that people would understand rock and roll isn't to blame and that, you know, music isn't all that bad. I, for one, appreciate the freedom of speech and people protesting and standing up for the right to say what they want. Without those kind of things happening in the past, we wouldn't be able to do what we do today, which is put together an audio program and put it out for the world to listen. Yeah, I mean, look at us. We have a podcast that we can say whatever we want to say, basically. That's totally freedom of speech. We can say anything we want. We choose not to say some things. We could totally spend the next 30 seconds singing the ABCs and you're going to have to listen to it (laughs) (laughs) or not. But, you know, that's the whole freedom of it. (laughs) Right. We have the right to do it. Right. Overall impressions of the episode? I really liked this one. I liked that it was lighthearted and fun. And I liked that Sam really had a lot of fun with his DJ role and there was romance in it. It was a lighthearted episode with a good meaning or a good message, I should say. I liked seeing Patricia Richardson in this and the chemistry and relationship between her character and Scott Bakula's character. And to me, that chemistry, either they're both amazing actors or there was some real chemistry going on. But for me, it was really hot. 
Yeah, I really liked the way that they interacted and I like thought it was funny. They made jokes and they were cute and flirty and I really liked that. I mean, we had some romance before, but usually if he leaves, he's like in the first episode with his wife, but he was already married and we haven't really gotten to see him cutesy, flirty yet. And I like that. And this was so much different than when he was in Tom McBride and he was so shy and didn't want to even touch his new bride. But in this episode, all he wanted to do was make out like crazy with Rachel Porter. Do you think he's getting more comfortable being a leaper now? He's starting to open up more in his roles and kind of go all out and be that person instead of his shy, conservative self. I think that has a lot to do with it. I think part of him thinks, okay, I'm a leaper and this is my life from now on. And if I don't live life to the fullest while I'm doing it, then why am I doing this? It was silly that the way he acted on the train as Tom McBride, that he was so conservative when technically Tom was married to her. And it was kind of insulting to her that he didn't want anything to do with her. But I like that he's gotten over that. He's really starting to be comfortable in other people's skin. How creepy does that sound? (laughs) Just for reference, we'll let you know we watched this episode about six times. And we alternated between the Region 1 and Region 2 DVD so we could get both versions of the music. And the first thing I noticed about this episode is that they did do a different edit from when Sam leaps in in this episode to when we see him leap in the end of the last episode. Right. They've done that before. But yeah, this is pretty different. But understandable because different editings for different purposes, I guess. Yeah. The next thing I noticed was Tutti Frutti was playing off a record, a 45, and Sam was kind of looking at it strange. And I would be looking at it strange, too, because it was playing Tutti Frutti, yet the needle was on the record label. I didn't even notice that, but I don't know much about records. But that's a pretty big boo-boo. Yeah, he was looking at a record like he's never seen one before. Like, what is that? (laughs) The thing about this one, he is getting comfortable leaping and, and everything. But this one, it took him a really long time to assess the situation. Like, he was so confused in this one more so than other ones. Did you notice that? Like when he got there, he was very discombobulated. Yeah. Like, okay, look around you. You have a microphone in your face. Like, <laughs> and and records. Which is much better than when he leaped into that Christmas episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. It's better to have a microphone in your face. But I mean, really, look around you. How, do you have a clear glass or plexiglass window in front of you with people on the other side you have a microphone in front of you and a record player to your right and all these little knobs in front of you what do you think it's very possible that the holes in the swiss cheese brain totally took out everything of radios and disc jockeys and records and music i mean obviously he didn't remember the music and stuff but i just mean Usually he catches on a little bit faster. It feels like he was a little slow to catch on to the new environment this time. But once Al gave him some pointers and told him what he was supposed to do, he got right into it, I think. Oh, yeah. I I think it was funny when he did a sign off and Brian just looked at him like, "Okay, that was weird. But that was his first show. Once he got back in and had Al's advice, he was a little bit better. Can you imagine being on air leaping? Like, no. That's a live microphone, although the on the air mic wasn't lit up. So was he on the air? Well, it's just like the record with sticker, (laughs) the needle being on the sticker. (laughs) Little little mistakes. That could definitely be disorienting. You should listen to my first podcast. No, you shouldn't. It's very painful. Don't do it. It's absolutely horrible. I don't recommend it, but you have to start somewhere. Yeah, we listened to your second podcast. I think so. Yes. Last week. That was pretty bad. It was bad. 
The yeah. editing was bad. The everything was bad. Sound quality was bad. That's where the freedom of speech came in. I had the freedom <laughs> to put up a horrible podcast. Yeah, and you have the freedom to not listen to it. Right. <laughs> but they say you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Oh, I like that. So I did. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. You can only go up from here, right? I loved seeing all the old radio equipment in the studio. Even back in 89, this equipment was really old. And I love that kind of equipment and I love collecting it, but I have no clue how to fix it. Today's modern technology, I can get in there, take things apart, put things back together. But when it comes to vacuum tubes and just weird electronics that are pre my generation, I don't understand it, but I love using it and looking at it. Yeah. I mean, if you look at our equipment, how small it is and how fancy schmancy compared to what they had back then. I mean, it still looks fancy to me because I've never really seen all that. But if you look at a recording studio on one of the behind the scenes music things, they look so much fancier. And I don't think I've ever seen what it looks like inside of a radio studio. But I'm assuming it's like a laptop. And <laughs> Pretty much. And similar equipment to what we have now. Right. <laughs> because I would have to say having to switch the record every time must be a pain. I mean, now you just, what, double click, I'm sure. Yeah, it's all computerized. And a lot of radio stations, the whole station is computerized now. Must make it so much easier. Until the electric pops out and their generator fails. Then you have 20 minutes of dead air before it starts over. Well, I think in any situation, that's how that is, right? Because what were they off an hour and a half in this episode when the power blew? Yeah, but I guess there was only three or four stations probably. So people were like, eh. What were they doing in that hour and a half that they were off the air? Brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> Looking for doorknobs. Looking for doorknobs. <laughs> oh my goodness. Can I talk about that part already? Hey, yeah. Freedom of speech. Scott Bakula actually grabbed Patricia Richardson's boob. I rewatched that part over and over again. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow, that's commitment. Well, of course he did. I mean, you have to make it look real. It's on camera. So they went for it. And you know what? She said, doorknobs are usually a little bit lower. And he said, excuse me. I would have took that as an invitation to start grabbing some more. He was already in enough trouble without doing anything. He didn't need to get in any more trouble. I'm just saying, was uh, that a line or not? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. I read into too many things, I think. So what do you think of this Brian character? He was uh, not in a lot of the episode, but there had to be another disc jockey there to take over for him when his shift was over. He, to me, was a good supporting role. I loved his outfits. I loved his guitar shirt in the beginning. I thought that was really cool. It was very 50s rock and roll kind of shirt. But he was he was a good friend. He kind of poked fun at Chick for having feelings for Rachel. And he was just like a fun supporting role in this episode. He didn't really have much to say or do, but he was definitely an essential part of this episode. He just kind of helped the storyline. And towards the end, he helped lead the protests against the law banning rock and roll, which I didn't catch on for the first four times I watched the episode. I had no idea it was actually Brian doing it. I just figured it was another nondescript person. Oh, I knew it was him the whole time. Um, he was standing on the car and leading all the chants. And I, I figured because he wasn't in the building, but it was cool that he was still working where, there with them. You know, he was still part of the station and still participating in the whole action. Is that kind of like cheating? Having him lead the protest because the people aren't really organizing the protest? Not at all. I don't think so. It, it's a radio station. I, I don't really think there's a politically right or wrong way to do a protest. Back in 89, when this was happening, I think there was a lot of stuff with the FCC and Howard Stern going on and battles 
where they were kept trying to fine him and ban him and all kinds of things like that. So I don't know if uh, this episode came out of any of that situation or they just took a freedom of speech issue and wrapped it into a radio station. I was thinking that what they were referring to was like the 80s rock and roll, 80s hair bands, because I'm sure the previous generation was against that rock and roll, right? Not that I recall. I remember some religious groups burning and using steamrollers to roll over Twisted Sister albums. Well, when they mentioned Fred Beeman's article, they say half articulate speech of long haired radicals. When I think long haired radicals and rock and roll, I think of 80s rock and not 50s rock. Were there long-haired radicals in 50s rock? The long hair back then was below the earlobe. It's so weird. But see, that's what I thought. Like, long-haired radicals made me think of 80s hair bands. And when Sam was referencing the First Amendment written by long-haired radicals, he was talking about... Well, I know the... Guys with the wigs. Right. But I mean... If your back of your neck wasn't shaved up to the back of your head, you were a hippie back then. So weird. Different times. Yeah. I would say things that are happening today that are similar to that, uh, one thing comes to mind. There's laws trying to be passed that I've heard of about how kids wear their pants around their knees and they have their underwear hanging out. Oh, yeah. See, now, I don't agree with that, but I don't think I should have the right to tell anybody not to do that if they feel like doing that. I don't think it should be against the law, but I think that it looks horrible. Right. (laughs) But uh, that brings up the whole point of the freedom of expression, freedom of speech. It's a double-edged sword to where you get to say what you want to say or however you want to express yourself, but also people that you don't agree with get to express themselves the way they want to also. But I would never dream of writing a law or petitioning for a law for people to pull their pants up because eventually they'll get older and they'll be like, why did we do that? Why are we so silly? Leaving our pants hanging out. Right. I mean, you should have saw me in the 90s. I, I, man. I think everybody, no matter what they did, looks back and says, why did I do that? Right? Right. But they got to learn for themselves. So a blue law was mentioned by Al, and I had no idea what that was. What is it? According to Wikipedia, a blue law is a type of law designed to restrict or ban some or all Sunday shopping for religious standards, particularly the observance of a day of worship or rest. Blue laws may also restrict or ban sale of certain items on specific days, most often on Sundays in the Western world. I've heard of those kind of laws where certain states, certain counties, you can't buy alcohol on Sundays. Yeah, or before 12 or whatever. Which is very hypocritical for this country because the country was founded on the freedom of religion. So just because people who are writing the laws, religion religion's holy day is on Sunday doesn't mean that that should be imposed on everybody else. So I disagree with that law. It also goes on to say in Wikipedia that a lot of those have been repealed. A lot of basically unconstitutional laws have been repealed, but a lot haven't. And there's some on the books. There's some books you can get that are just list all the silly, crazy laws that are still on the books today. I've seen a lot of that floating around the internet, like the crazy things that are illegal in certain states that you never think of. On a local television commercial here, it talks about the law that it is, in fact, illegal to sing while wearing a bikini. No way. Yes. We live in Florida. I'm sure there are people that sing in bikinis all the time. I'm thinking it came out of some kind of uh, anti-burlesque law, possibly. I have to look into that. I'm sure I've sang in a bikini before. But my personal feeling, my opinion on laws is if it doesn't hurt anyone, it shouldn't be illegal. If you're not physically harming someone or taking someone's property or harming someone, it shouldn't be illegal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Or yourself, harming yourself or others. I think that covers all the laws that I agree with. That's pretty much a 
very big generalization, but I haven't seen any law that I disagree with my statement on that. Particularly uh, in this country, United States, we have over 1 million people in prison for nonviolent drug-related crimes. Now, let me preface this by saying I'm uh, straight edge. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I don't do anything like that. We lead boring podcasting lives. (laughs) But there are over a million people in the United States in prison today because of nonviolent drug-related crimes. Is that a real number? Like, that's a real number. That's a real number. There's a uh, documentary out. It's worth watching. It's called American Drug War, The Last White Hope. And it's all about how if the laws against, say, marijuana were repealed, how all these millions of people would be let out of jail. But the reason that the special interest groups don't want to legalize marijuana is because the prison system is a really profitable business for big companies. And they're actually keeping the laws so they have people they can arrest and be put in jail to make money. Definitely a broken system. But that's another thing. Marijuana kind of fits into this episode because it's one of those things that the generation is scared of. I mean, if you come home from work and you have a beer, if you have a glass of wine, if you have three glasses of wine, isn't that kind of the same thing as as anything to do with marijuana? I mean, it's you're still altering your state of mind. And I really don't think that marijuana is as bad as alcohol. I've seen some pretty violent drunks and I've never seen a violent stoner. <laughs> no, maybe hungry one. Yeah, or sleepy, usually tired. <laughs> but I've never seen a violent stoner. Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, hypocrisy in laws. Yeah. And again, I don't smoke, drink, do any of that stuff. But logically, if one's legal, the other one should be legal. No, I'm not saying, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, we're not saying that cocaine or or crack. I mean, when you get into those, like, that is a different kind of drug. Cocaine and and crack, they are dangerous drugs. Those are more dangerous than marijuana. And there are violent people (laughs) who, um, who do those drugs. But I do not think that marijuana is a gateway drug into other drugs because there's a big leap, I think. But if you're going to make alcohol legal and smoking cigarettes legal, I think marijuana is up there with that. But I think that people are just too afraid of what their children are going to do, just like with rock and roll. Just making it legal isn't going to make someone smoke it. <laughs> like if you're already smoking it, you're going to still smoke it, whether it's legal or, or illegal. I don't think there's going to be a mad rush of people going, well, now that it's legal, I think I'll try it. Do you think that it's really going to change that much? Maybe a small percentage, but not significant now. Yeah, no, I don't think that everybody's going to go out and be like, well, that's my new hobby. (laughs) There's uh, states now where it's legal in the United States to go and buy, sell, smoke marijuana with no problem. But that doesn't make me want to go there and do it. It's none of my business what anybody else does. Really, it isn't. If it doesn't hurt anyone, it shouldn't be illegal. Right. I don't think that it hurts anybody. Might drop your IQ a little bit, but but I don't think alcohol makes you smarter either, so... Alcohol is much more damaging to you. If you go back and look at the history of these laws, most of them are racially motivated based on what different types and groups of immigrants were using as their recreational drug of choice at the time. Hmm. In other words, that's why alcohol is legal and marijuana is not. That's why cocaine didn't become illegal until large groups of African-Americans started using the drug. Hmm. I don't know much about cocaine except what I saw in that movie. 
I know it was in soda, so it couldn't be that bad for you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think it's really bad for you. Okay, I don't know. Never tried it. Um, I don't have the inclination. But look at smoking cigarettes. I mean, look at the lung cancer and all the damage that it does to your lungs, and that's legal. I mean, And that kills you. Like that, yeah, it's very damaging. Right. But they're not going to make smoking illegal anytime soon. So it's weird, like you were saying, the hypocrisy of it all, you know? But now we're into legal battles. Well, that's what this episode's about. The right to protest and express how you feel about laws being wrong. Because just because something's the law doesn't make it right. I understand, especially because this was a silly, very silly law. But there are laws that are controversial that I'm glad we're getting fixed, like the gay marriage ban we've talked about on here before. And look at the law in Arizona that they tried to ban gay people from going into restaurants. Did you? I mean, you heard about that, right? I heard about that. And I had wished it happened about a month before that while we were talking about the color of truth, because we were like, well, our society is so much more advanced now that that wouldn't happen today. And then a few weeks later, it happened. They tried to ban people from a restaurant. Yeah. And then the governor of Arizona was like, no, we can't. We can't do that. That's insane. But the whole country was like, are you are you serious right now? How do you how even as a business person would that benefit you? The Quantum Leap podcast is available in Arizona, isn't it? Maybe we should start getting more listeners in Arizona. I, I, I just, that blows my mind. Now talk about a silly law. Do they not have history classes? Do they not remember the color ban? And that, whether you believe they have a choice or not, it's none of your business what goes on behind their closed doors. It's none of your business what goes on in their love lives. But that should not stop you from letting them come in your doors and into your business. Like, they're people. Everybody deserves equal rights, whether they're black, white, or purple, or whether they love men or women. Who cares? We're all the same. Everybody needs to have some scrambled eggs and hash browns and maybe a side of toast. And we all should listen to some rock and roll. <laughs> the laws that people come up with and the fact that that one got so far, just like the law in this episode, got so far as to get banned. Like how many people had to agree with that to ban rock and roll? How many people had to agree that they didn't want homosexuals in their restaurants to get it as far as it did? It's a scary thought. Mind boggling. I just can't imagine. But that's why we have so many different levels of courts to finally go up to Supreme Courts to make the right decision. Because local governments can get it wrong a lot. But people that we have in place for the Supreme Court, you have to go through a lot to get there. And they have to unbiasedly judge laws, not impose their own beliefs. Well... Even in our country's government, we're having issues with people and their own beliefs. We still have some people that are biased in those systems. The good part about those things is so far, every time a law against marriage equality goes up to the level of a state Supreme Court, it's always been uh, the right to marry whoever you want has been upheld. Right. I just wish that these silly laws would stop being made. <laughs> I think all in all, laws are getting a lot less silly and more realistic, but it's a process and it's going to take time. It's not going to be all cured in our generation or the one after us, maybe, but it, eventually. We're saying this now. So now what else is going to happen? Right. <laughs> What's the next silly law they're going to come up with? They're going to ban playing rock and roll. Again. <laughs> I love Al's outfits. And, you know, I noticed his his button down shirt. The collar had holes in it. So like you could see the tie. I want that. That was really cool. I noticed that like the second or third time I saw it. I was like, does that have holes in the Wow, that's interesting. Like big holes in the in the collar. If I do that to one of my dress shirts, does that count as cosplay next time I go to a convention? 
Only if you wear the chrome jacket and the tie with the little sunglasses on it. Challenge accepted. <laughs> uh, what struck me a little strange was Fred Beeman. He asked Chick Howell, Sam, if he had kids. And I saw like a little thought process going on in Sam's head. To, do I have kids? Do I not have kids? He doesn't know, I don't think. I don't think he knew if Chick had kids at that point either because that's when, right after he leaped and he was still at work. So he could have gone home to a wife and kids. Who knows? You never know. And I guess he couldn't answer it either way because he didn't know. So if he said, no, I don't have kids. And then his kid runs up and goes, daddy. Where Rachel looks at him and goes, what do you mean you have four kids? <laughs> but do you think Sam thought, do I have kids? That's what I got out of that. It could be either way because he doesn't know if he has kids. Swiss cheese brain, right? Right. I love the cars in this episode. They're so nice. 50s cars are awesome anyway. Chick had a nice car. Until it got graffiti on the windshield. What is with the window paint? Go home Japs and the, the Americanization of Machiko and well, that wasn't window paint, but it's still on the car. But graffiti in cars, was that like a big thing? I have no idea. Up until I saw it on Quantum Leap, I had never seen it before, except of course, you know, just married. But who would put Stop Playing Rock and Roll on the windshield of Chick Howell's car? Was that Fred Beeman out there himself? It wasn't his wife because his wife was like, it's just music. And I don't think the cops would do it. My thing is people who don't like rock and roll because it's going to make people misbehave shouldn't be the ones doing the reckless things like, I don't know, writing on windows or cutting cables or turning people's power off. Aren't those the kind of things you don't want your kids to do? There's a lot of hypocrites in the world. There really is. It just surprised me that vandalizing a car goes under one of those things like you think rock and roll is going to make your kids do, right? Right. But honestly, who do you think was writing on the windshield? I'm going to guess Fred. He was the one that was kind of all gung-ho about this episode. The only other thought I had was that it was Rusty. Who's Rusty? The guy that couldn't use his arm anymore in the Americanization of Machiko. Oh. <laughs> he, he, might, he might keep going. He, maybe he didn't learn his lesson. Maybe he's leaping behind Sam. <laughs> I will write on every car you walk by. <laughs> I will write on all your cars. Rusty. What are they afraid of rock and roll doing? Causing vandalism or getting to the point where you're breaking down doors? I mean, everything that he's afraid of, his kids doing, he's kind of sneakily doing in this episode. I think the common thought back then, as if I understand my history correct, is, especially with Elvis and rock and roll, was they would swing their hips or gyrate their hips. So that would lead to intercourse. Now, sex, obviously been around forever as long as the procreating animals have been around as long as at least humans have been alive there's been human sex so are we saying that we don't think that teenagers in the 40s 30s weren't having sex because i'm pretty sure teenagers probably have always been having sex long before rock and roll or there would be no one around to in fact invent rock and roll wasn't Romeo and Juliet about like a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old or something like that? I don't know if they got it on. I know they drank poison, but I don't think they uh, got together. Not in that story. But what I'm saying is, is I don't think that rock and roll <laughs> started that. It, it goes back to forgetting what it's like to be a teenager, I think. And I don't think the hormones were produced by the rock and roll. From what I understand, parents back then had the whole belief that if they didn't educate their children about sex, that they wouldn't have sex. But that was wrong. My mom, for example, was not educated in sex at all about anything. She had four kids in four years until the doctor told her where babies come from and how they were made. And then she stopped having kids. She had her first one at 16 too, right? Right. Okay. And that was in 1952 she had her first kid? Right. So that just goes to prove that rock and roll didn't start 
your mom's family. <laughs> yeah, I think back then it was doo-wop. Maybe that was bad. Not sure. Yeah, I, I just think that teenagers are going to do what teenagers are going to do. The best thing that you can do is educate them and let them know that you're there for them if they need help. Because the worst thing to do is for them to get in trouble and not know who to turn to. I'm not saying for you to be their best friend and not have rules, but they're going to make mistakes and rock and roll or whatever the thing is at the time is going to be there. But that's not why they do the things they do. They have what hormones and all their friends are doing whatever instinct right they're transitioning from being a kid into an adult and trying to learn everything about the world and i'm pretty sure when i was a teenager i knew everything right we always know everything i was immortal i knew everything i think that's just part of being a kid your parents are always never going to want to watch you get hurt or make a mistake but how else are you going to learn I saw further evidence of the theory I brought up a while back, my burger theory, where each episode they have a link to a previous episode and it's a continuing line. And the one I saw in this was Sam mentions the Beatles as one of the next records he was going to play. Of course, the Beatles weren't out yet. They don't come out for like five more years or something like that, right? Right. But it's a nice little continuing story arc throughout the different episodes, uh, a connection to a previous episode where he did, in fact, have a run in with the Beatles. Do you think that's just because he's like Swiss cheese brain and he just saw the Beatles, so he thought of the Beatles? Possibly. I mean, in universe, yes, definitely. Uh, Out of universe, it might just be something fun that the writers are doing. I like it. Yeah, it's uh, fun. Buddy Holly and the Crickets, Beatles, same thing. They're all related. Beatles, Crickets. And uh, the part where Al's talking to Sam and trying to tell him how to be a disc jockey, and he says, didn't you see the movie? Yeah, what movie? Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Good morning. I've never seen that movie. Is that the one with Robin Williams? Yes. I would like to see that movie, but I I really, I've never seen it. I am shocked that you haven't seen that movie. Maybe I should. It was uh, funny to me that you were like, what movie? (laughs) I'm young. (laughs) Then you didn't get the joke when he was said, good morning, Peoria, after what movie? No, but I get it now. <laughs> it's it's like when you're watching Family Guy, you get every third joke because it's written for people my age. I get more now that I know you than I would have before, I think. Right. I'm exposing you to pop culture from my generation. Yeah. And we watched the Rugrats and Wild Thornberries the other day. So I'm exposing you to culture from the 90s. <laughs> I love Rugrats. I know I keep talking about fashion all the time. A couple things in this episode I saw. We already mentioned Al, but uh, I noticed when he leaps in for the first time lately, he's in his future outfit. And then whatever time period Sam's in, he seems to go home and get that outfit out of his closet and be like, oh, it's like late 50s. I can wear this. Yeah, like does he have a decade by decade closet at home or do you think like just like a 3d printer what do you think (laughs) either that or he goes shopping he makes a lot of money if he gets any bit of what that budget was approved for yeah the the decade clothes shop anywhere from the 1950s up (laughs) he can probably write it off probably fashion is very important to al i know the 70s outfit he had he went home and it was in his closet still what was that chain that rachel had on her sweater i'd never seen one of those before it like kept her sweater on yeah, that's so like exactly. like a sweater chain. Do they still make those? What is that? It's very um, librarian type of thing to me now. Yeah, it's just to keep the sweater from like falling off your shoulders. Instead of buttoning it, I think. Just a fashion thing. I liked it. It was still kind of conservative 
without being too conservative. Towards the end of the episode, she was a little less conservative. She it was started hot. she yeah, it was hot. She started unbuttoning her dress. No, I mean it was actually hot. There was no air conditioning. Oh, yeah. Ooh, maybe that's a move. <laughs> oh, sorry, the air conditioning's broke. We're gonna have to unbutton some shirts around here. What do you think of Chubby Checker in this episode? Did you know Chubby Checker before you saw this episode? Funny story about Chubby Checker. Um in my seventh grade class, my teacher had us do a report on every single thing in the song we didn't start the fire and before that report i actually thought like chubby checker was a game like fat had like little chubby like the game checkers like fat's domino i don't know what that is either (laughs) (laughs) or who that is but i mean i i really didn't know who chubby checker was and i thought it was like a fat checker piece i don't know (laughs) but i obviously i did the report so i know who he was and i know he did the twist but i've never actually seen him on screen i don't think i've seen him live or not live but he has a website that i went to and he's got all clips of different performances throughout his life and he sells beef jerky it's really weird yeah but I, I'd try some Chubby Checker beef jerky. But like the name is just odd. Chubby, Chubby Checker. Checker. After a little research, we found out that Chubby Checker was born Ernest Evans. Yeah, I guess Chubby Checker is more of a rock and roll name. Chubby Checker was actually kind of named after Fats Domino. They needed a stage name for him. And uh, that's what they came up with. Yeah, that kind of Chubby Checker, Fats Domino kind of sounds the same. I still don't know who that is, though. <laughs> Visual effects were pretty good in this episode. The only thing that maybe took me a little bit out of it was when Al was standing in front of the window where the brick came through. It looked good in the short clip where the brick actually went through Al, but... Other than that, it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) In the cut of the episode, it went from probably, I want to say, a good 40 seconds of Al talking and standing in front of that optical effect window, and then to a shot of Sam, and then back to Al for when the brick comes through. People behind Al weren't moving. They were not. They were definitely just a picture. It was a freeze frame. Yeah. No no bueno. That looked odd. And also the layering of the optical effect was very noticeable when they had the camera on Al for so long during that effect. What they should have done is had Al standing there for real for that first shot and then cut to Sam and then cut to the optical shot that's only two seconds long. Yeah, why wouldn't they have him just standing there for real in the spot where they don't have the visual effect? That doesn't make sense to me. It just looked really bad. And for me to notice something like that, it's got to be bad. And if they had that long shot of Al before the shot of the brick coming through him, and that was normal, you wouldn't have had time to look and go, well, he's kind of cut out and it's kind of the static background. Wow, those people standing by the car haven't moved in the last 35 seconds. If they shot it on the day, they would have used it, I think. Yeah, maybe they just needed... They didn't have it maybe when they got into the editing bay. But that was the only, I think, bad effect that I saw. You know how Sam slips up and references stuff sometimes, right. just like the Beatles in this episode. I loved his recovery from mentioning Apple. It's like Wapple. Oh, I worked at Wapple. W A P L. Wapple was funny. Uh, when they mentioned uh, just like the guys at Apple, I was thinking Spaceship Earth at Epcot. Yeah, a it little started in someone's garage. The first World Wide Web. <laughs> One of my favorite rides of all time. So why was Fred? doing all of this like do you really think that it was that beneficial to his life to fight this hard against rock and roll i think he just somehow had a strong opinion against rock and roll right now we live in a country united states of america where 50 percent of the country believes strongly one way and the other half 
believe in the exact opposite way. And there are people on both sides of that that, for some unexplained reason, will fight tooth and nail to have everybody else think like they do. And Rachel even makes a comment that he wasn't noticed on the street before. And now that he's made this big stink, everybody's talking to him, talking about him, and he's kind of become famous because he's trying to fight rock and roll. So I don't know if that's really why. That was her guess. That was a good explanation. But to me, that wasn't the reason that it motivated him. He just really felt that it was wrong and he had to take care of the kids. I think maybe he was just bored. It's Well, there wasn't a lot to do back then. But that's what I love about the First Amendment. I have the right. Obviously, I'm on one side or the other in that debate. And I have the right to say everything I want about that. I choose not to because whenever you do that, you'll lose half of your listeners. Yeah, I think to go with that, remember when the Duck Dynasty guy said whatever he said about homosexuals and everybody was defending it with freedom of speech. But the thing about freedom of speech, you're allowed to say whatever you want, but there's usually consequences. You you might offend someone or if you're a public figure, you might lose respect from a lot of people or lose your job or I mean, there are usually consequences for your actions. Freedom of speech doesn't say that you aren't going to offend anyone. It just says that you can say whatever you want or you have the freedom to say what you want. But that doesn't mean that you aren't going to face the consequences. Well said, Heather. Thank you. Did you see the drink moxie sign in this episode? I did. What does that remind you of? Um, 11-22-63. I think we both looked at it and looked at each other at the same time and thought, hey, that's pretty cool. Well, what's funny is it's basically in a diner or convenience store diner kind of thing. And and that's exactly where it was in the book. And I have never seen a sign for Moxie ever. And I heard about it in the book and didn't even know if it was a real thing. And there's the sign for Moxie in the window. The only other time I've ever seen anything on Moxie was on a documentary on the Food Network. Apparently where it's made, they have a parade every year and... Wow. I'd like to try Diet Moxie if they make it. I don't know. But it was just cool to see it and cool that we thought of the exact same thing at the exact same time. So Rachel has this view for her station. She wants it to be number one in the universe, uh, or at least Peoria for now. And Sam's there to help her do that. And she talks about her dad's view of the future and wanting to be an FM station. He thought FM was the future. And Sam says, well, he wasn't that far off, basically. You know, that's not that big of a a dream. I don't even know when they switched over to FM, but the only station I ever listened to when I was younger on AM was Radio Disney. It was on AM. But everything else, I think, is on FM that I know of. There's some sports talk radio shows still on AM, I think, and of course, Radio Disney. Yeah, I mean, I know there are shows on AM, but FM is definitely the more popular way to go. And then you get into XM and Sirius, and then taking one step further, what we do, which is uh, portable on-demand audio or pod. I don't even think I listen to radio in the car anymore. I think I listen to Pandora, which is like the modern day radio. I, as a listener or even a viewer of television, I don't want to turn a radio or television on and watch what they want me to watch at a certain time. I want to ask myself, what do I want to listen to right now? And that's what I listen to. So I think uh, everything's going that way where it's really on demand. So people create the content and it's there for when you're ready to listen to it, when you're in the mood for it. I can't really think of the last time I listened to radio. I like the randomness of radio because sometimes I get bored of listening to like one CD or one sound. So I guess in the 1960s, which is a little bit 
in the near future of this episode, broadcasters started to experiment with FM radio and they would broadcast their show on AM and FM. But the FCC kind of limited that once it started in the 1960s. So that didn't last long. But by the 80s, radios came with AM and FM tuners. So by then, people basically just switched to FM. Frequency modulation or FM is different than amplitude modulation or AM. Basically, it has to do with the length of the wave. And uh, what I understand is an AM wave is about the length of a football field, where a FM wave, which is frequency modulation, not amplitude modulation, is a lot shorter. So in the same time period, you can fit a lot more information. So that's why FM is so much clearer than AM. So that's why they switched to it. Wow. You know that. That was not from Wikipedia, folks. That was (laughs) off the top of his head. So I might be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It sounded good. One thing I did listen to on AM as a young teenager was Larry King. After he did his television show, he would go on and do a radio show. And locally, it was played on an AM station. But for talk radio, AM's great because it's just talking. I don't know if I'm used to listening to talk radio. I now work where I don't hear the talk radio in the morning. But I used to like hearing the conversation in the local radio station. That's where I would get my news because I don't usually watch the news. For me, too many commercials. Oh, I definitely agree. But I think that Pandora has too many commercials. I think that I'm spoiled with my TiVo and all my technology that I don't like commercials at all. But you know what's great? I listen to audiobooks and there's no commercials in my audiobooks. Speaking of commercials, this podcast is brought to you by Canpakes, pancakes in a can. How many times has this happened to you, Heather? You're in a post-apocalyptic world. There has been no food produced for over a decade. There are barely any humans left on the planet, and you're hungry. What do you do? I open a can of canpakes. Pancakes in a can. That's right, folks. They have a shelf life of over 50 years. <laughs> Yummy. So if you're stuck in a post-apocalyptic world and you're one of the few survivors and you're hungry and you have a craving for some pancakes, think of Campakes, pancakes in a can, now with maple cubes. Just like mom used to make. Go to quantumlypodcast.com slash canpakes for more information. C-A-N-P-A-K-E-S. Canpakes, they're pancakes in a can. We're just happy to be doing good works. Equality. Yeah, call coming in, so folks asking for help. Really? It's not folks something we should be striving. Really should sit down. Just leave the captain and so get back to shooting. The only way to help them is like gravity. I, we need it what? to stand on this earth as men and women. I'm right behind you, baby. Who the hell are you? We are the Signal. A podcast all about Firefly and Serenity. There's the truth of the signal. It's Jane being so generous with this cut that confuses and frightens me. It does kind of freeze the blood. On our shows, you will find features, news, reviews, interviews, articles, and anything else we can think of relating to the verse of Firefly and Serenity. It's going to be an all-day event. They've got Brown Coach Redemption. They've got Dr. Horrible. We're continuing to explore the verse, and we want you to join us. Just go to www.serenityfirefly.com. The signal. We're just happy to be doing good works. What was that? My name is Karen Lindsay. I got sucked into Farscape. Lou bugged me till I watched. Now I'm obsessed. We podcast together to guide new viewers so they also get hooked. Maybe as much as me? 
one episode per podcast. I would love the company. Both good and bad. Jeremiah Creighton. Lou thinks this will stop me. I can't stop rewatching them. But he's mistaken. He should know me by now. This will be awesome. Talking about characters and stories. These recordings are made for you. To enjoy the wondrous things we've heard. Cross my heart, smack me dead, stick a lobster on my head. On the ground now! Farewell, my friends, and thank you for teaching me to kill again. Slicker and snot. My microbes had to have translated that one wrongly. This is insane, Craig. Four years on and you're finally getting it. Escape Cast, your guide to the wonders of Far Escape. Listen to the Scaper Chronicles at scapecast.org. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for And no religion too Imagine all the people Living life in peace You, you may say I'm a dreamer Imagine no possessions I wonder if you can No need for greed or hunger A brotherhood of men Imagine all Sharing all the world you, you may say I'm a dreamer But I'm not the only one I hope someday you'll join us And the world will live as one And that was Imagine, sung by Scott Bakula. These songs are being played off the Quantum Leap soundtrack. They are no longer available in first print 
editions, which means if you buy them via eBay, the original artists don't get compensated for it. So a good way to get the Quantum Leap soundtrack and make sure that the people who made the album get compensated for it is to go to iTunes or Amazon.com and get them digitally. Because if you buy them digitally, they're still getting royalties for them. So uh, if you like any of the songs we're playing today, please go to iTunes or Amazon.com, download the album. It's only a few dollars. It's not much, but if you're a real leaper, you'll love it. Go to quantumleappodcast.com slash music for more information. The poem that Sam says to Rachel in their little romantic scene, I was confused about that. I was going to try and write it down and remember it and talk about it, but I didn't really like it. Can you maybe explain it to me? I think you wrote it down and you, but I don't, I don't know if I get it. The poem that Sam cites that he can't clearly remember is The Second Coming by William Butler Yeats. And more than that, I have no idea. Interpreting art and literature was not my strong point in school. Yeah. And everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned, the best lack of conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. I, I can't comprehend any Yeah, I don't know. So I, I, that was really weird to me in that, that moment. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's just because I'm not a literature. Well, I think for us, it's like you didn't get the Good Morning Vietnam reference, and I did. So I enjoyed it and understood it. In this case, neither one of us knows about this poem, so we don't get it. But maybe if we did know, we would get it. Maybe. Maybe there's a literary geek out there that can help us with this. I'm not afraid to admit when I don't know something. I did, though, like the dull needle and the statics. That was funny. Didn't get that the first time I watched it. Really? Like I didn't, I just didn't listen to the band he was saying. I don't know <laughs> what, I thought maybe he was talking about the previous record or Buddy something. Buddy Holly and the Crickets. But don't need Buddy Holly and the Crickets? Hmm? Wow, that's a reference to? Buddy Holly. Hey, we wow. didn't think about that. This is crazy. I see what you did there, Chris Ruppenthal. Yeah, it's it's great when you have little references in there. And it's funny that we just got that now. Don't needle and aesthetics. That was funny. Um, and it showed how he was really on the ball about the whole thing. So he didn't really need Al after he got going. Yeah, he did. I think he just needed Al to get him started. And speaking of Al getting him started, the kiss scene was kind of funny, too. Al's trying to tell him how to kiss. And he's like, oh, you got this. I think you got it. <laughs> he realized he was a third wheel pretty quickly right there. Yeah, uh, it's funny because then he like clears his throat and I'm like, but don't interrupt them. But you're ruining the moment, Al. Go away. <laughs> yeah, go away. Be happy for your boy. Right? Don't you have some lady to swoon? I wonder what's going on with him and Tina. We haven't heard much about that lately. Maybe there will be an episode coming up about Al's love life. Do you know something I don't know? Not (laughs) when it comes to Quantum Leap. All right. My favorite part right around that time was when Sam dedicates the song to Rachel and he takes her hand and dances with her and it gets all romantic like we're talking about the kiss. But I just thought that was a really suave and debonair move that he did. I like that he was like, this song is dedicated by me. <laughs> the way he says it, he's like, dedicated by me to the woman I want to most share a civil defense shelter with. I thought that was cute. The little dedication. Very romantic. Yeah. But then why on earth did Rachel slap Sam when they were getting along so good? That was kind of a psycho move. I mean, her reasoning was she thought he was putting on this whole show. My thing, maybe she isn't used to having guys' attention because she's so like crass that she just couldn't believe it was real, too good to be true kind of thing. But that was wrong. Her freaking out was crazy. It seemed very odd to me, but it made the episode go a little bit longer. So maybe that was a good beat to have in the story. Well, it can't all be perfect, right? 
But then Sam said, do you think I arranged this whole thing with Fred Beeman to call you? Yeah, her logic doesn't really stand up. So I like the part where Al thinks he's leaping. It was interesting. Because I really didn't know what to think at that moment. I was like, what is going on with Al? Oh, it must be because of the antenna. But for a second, and I, I thought it was cool that he thought that he was leaping. He got all excited. So apparently broadcast antennas and neural holograms interact in a way to make it look like you're leaping. I guess there's some kind of frequency that overlaps, maybe. What is the frequency, Kenneth? I don't know that reference. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty fun. Just a reversal of the leaping effect, and that was pretty cool to see. And I think they did a good job at that. Yeah, but I like that Sam was like, no, you're not leaping. Just move away. <laughs> he was just like, Sam knew. Stop he it. was like, neural holograms and an antenna? Yeah, that's what it is, of course. He uh, was very tech savvy in this episode between fixing the radio boards from the brick damage and being able to start the generator and being able to realize that copper gutters would make a great broadcast antenna do you think that that's sam or do you think that that's part of like chick howell i don't know i want to say since he's a quantum physicist that he has a basic understanding of electronics because that's like a baby step on the way to more sciences. Yeah. But uh, it could be from Howlin' Chick Howl, but I think we'll have to wait and see in future episodes how his tech savviness is to see if, in fact, it is him or not. But I want to say it's Dr. Sam Beckett with the basic knowledge of science. Sam just knows how to do everything. Play piano, fix things. <laughs> well, I'm sure he watched Mr. Wizard's World when he was a kid because he's into science. I don't think that it was the same time. He probably was older. Maybe he caught old reruns of Mr. Wizard's World. Maybe he was friends with Bill Nye, the science guy. I think Bill Nye would be friends with Dr. Sam Beckett if he could. That'd be a pretty cool friendship. You would feel really slow around them. I'm sure he hangs out with Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson when he's not leaping. I'm sure he has really smart friends. Like, well, it would have to be in the 80s future. The 90s? Well, no, isn't it like, well, I guess, yeah, 90s is the future for them, right? Well, he can time travel within his own lifetime, so he could, if he's still alive now, which, uh... Scott Bakula is, so there's no reason Sam Beckett couldn't be. You do have a point. Something I didn't understand was the mosh pit going on between the kids. It kind of made it seem like rock and roll was bad at that point, but I'm not really even sure why that occurred. I was a little confused. To me, it looked like there was two different gangs. I guess what passed for gangs back in the day, they all wore the same jacket, having a disagreement, but they both seemed to be there to support rock and roll. But doesn't that make the rock and roll crowd look rambunctious? I don't know. I, I just thought it was really weird. And it didn't really support the fact that rock and roll was not evil. I don't know. It was just it was an odd scene for me. It could be that the preps were there protesting rock and roll and that the greasers were there in support of rock and roll. I'm not sure. The episode for me didn't convey why or how they were disagreeing or what they were disagreeing over rather. Just seemed like a silly scene to put in there without a backstory. Yeah, I don't know if that was in the script or something a director or someone just had put in there. Like if they were characters we knew, you know, if there was some kind of backstory, but it was just a random mosh pit. It was odd. Yeah, it was out of place, but I didn't mind it, but it kind of made me scratch my head the fourth or fifth time I saw it. Well, at least I'm not alone. <laughs> I really enjoyed the part. I mean, we've talked about this before on other shows. I don't know if we talked about it on the Quantum Leap podcast or not, but how people seem to be able to read blinky light units. Like on Star Trek. Exactly. They look at blinky lights, LEDs, blinking all different crazy ways and go, oh, well, it must be this. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe in the future we learn how to read the blinky light language. 
the fact that the show made fun of itself that it could do that was for me very humorous amazing i enjoyed it because al was like look and it's just blinking lights like sam's gonna go oh okay well he kind of did didn't he he knew (sighs) what it meant I don't know. For me, it was them making light of the fact that we assume they can read these blinky lights. Yeah, it was kind of a weird and silly scene. It was silly. (laughs) But I like that. Look, look at these blinky lights and know what they mean. (laughs) And they're they're just repeating patterns of blinking lights. But it's the same thing as the, what, the tricorder on Star Trek, where they're like, oh, I can diagnose you with the blinky lights. Well, because television props back then, of course, standard definition television, we say this all the time, but... Really, all you could show is blinky lights. You couldn't have a LCD screen, or even if they did have uh, many video screens back then with the technology, you couldn't see the readout. So all you could really see was blinking red lights and blue lights and green lights. I don't think that they knew to expect LCD screens either. Well, that's uh, one of those things. You see older sci-fi movies or TV shows about the future, and they have computers, but they don't have monitors. (laughs) Just because they didn't think, hey, we might need to interact with the computer somehow. Manuel. (laughs) <laughs> Manuel, speak. <laughs> Manuel, speak. That's a good movie. So Sam seems to know to read that article. I don't know if it was from the blinky lights of Ziggy or it just kind of occurred to him. He reads the article from World War II that Fred Beeman wrote. I wanted to ask you about that because in the episode recap, it said that uh, Alan Ziggy found that. But... That would be the blinky lights. Oh, okay. Because to me, when I was watching it, I just assumed that Rachel pulled it out of the news archives like she had been doing all along. Well, that's why I think he might have understood the blinky lights because there was really no communication and then he kind of found it. But again, there was no real connection there for me either. But I like that that's how they fought it because Al was saying you're not going to physically be able to fight him at this. Like he's going to knock down the door. So you got to pull something else out of your hat. The article was very powerful talking about freedom and our soldiers fought for freedom and here you're trying to take away someone else's freedom even though it's not to that level it's basically the same thing and he realized i think that he was out of line he himself didn't realize that freedom meant freedom for people who disagree with him also right and i i think that was a really good way to get him to see and especially considering they were his words it was that much more powerful very well written well, he is a newspaper editor. Oh, you mean the... <laughs> the TV show. <laughs> Very good ending. Yes. Yeah, they did good. Yeah, if it wasn't written by him, it wouldn't have had the same effect at all. Because he was like, this is different. This is different. This is different. Yeah. And then his wife's like, come on, honey. <laughs> Let's go home. I liked his wife in this episode. Yeah, I just wish that more men would listen to their wives. Right? Save a lot of trouble. Usually we're right the first time. Usually. <laughs> I'm glad that he got to save the station, but he also made a relationship with Chick and Rachel. And and that was really nice because hopefully Chick and Rachel have the same chemistry that Sam and Rachel did, or it's going to be a little weird when Chick gets back. But um, it was cute. The marriage. Are you is that a proposal? Like that little scene was cute because he says married out loud. And then Rachel goes, is that a proposal? I like their little cute playful banter you know that was really cute that was very cute and it showed how it would set up their future together also in this episode speaking of that i like the whole how sam is talking to everybody that he's with and al at the same time and they're doing a really good job writing that yeah because sam will say one thing and it means one thing to the person he's standing next to and it means another thing to al 
Yeah. We saw that in the last episode, too. Right. They're just uh, integrating it more, I think. And I'm curious to see how far that can go in the future. I like that, though. It makes the scene a little bit more enjoyable. It's like uh, in the last episode, they just realized they could start doing that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's a different like team. Somebody came on and had that idea. What if you have Sam talk to everybody, but have it mean different things? I like that. I'm a big fan. So we talked a little bit earlier about this, but AM, FM, XM, podcasting. I think podcasting is much superior just because, you know, terrestrial radio, for the most part, is temporary. It's going out over the airwaves. It can be recorded, but for the most part, it's there one second and gone the next. It's live. You know, unless you go out in space really far and then get the past radio waves, but that's another topic. (laughs) The files that we make today can be backed up and saved and transported anywhere in the future, like different regions of space, even other galaxies. Maybe one day the Andromeda galaxy, thousands of years from now, somebody might be listening to old podcasts. And specifically the Quantum Leap podcast. Yeah, hopefully ours. Wouldn't that be crazy if our podcast about Quantum Leap survived, but Quantum Leap didn't itself, like thousands of years <laughs> from now? Be like, I really want to watch the show, but I've, I don't know what it's about. And people recreate it out of what we talk about. <laughs> That seemed like that was on a TV show. Futurama. Oh. <laughs> what is it? Sexy female lawyer or something? Yeah. And if you are thousands of years in the future and in another galaxy and you're hungry, a great thing to eat would be... Can cakes. Pancakes in a can. That's right. If you're in the future and you have no food and you're on the space station, take a look around. There's probably a can of can cakes. Pancakes in a can. And by then, they'll probably have many different kinds of syrup cubes. Yum. Go to quantumlypodcast.com slash can for more information. C-A-N-P-A-K-E-S. Can cakes. They're pancakes in a can. Inside we long for home, but it 
obscured by tears I cry the time it falls past me The door of faith remains asleep That was Fate's Wide Wheel from Glitter Rock, requested by Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Is that our studio line? We have a phone call? Ooh. Who could it be? Hello, you are on the Quantum Leap podcast on 823 The QLP. Uh, What's your name, caller, and where are you calling from? I'm Hayden, and I'm calling from Australia. I stepped into the waiting room, and I'm appearing uh, to you as a hologram. Uh, I figured since uh, since we wanted to have a live feel for this episode, I, I thought we'd uh, try and do a, a bit of a live communication rather than uh, have my words come through John and someone else. So yeah, it's good to good to see that um, everyone's mental enough so that you can see me and hear me. <laughs> You're a little translucent, but I can see most of you. <laughs> Fair enough. We might have to tweak the brainwaves. Yeah, it might need to. It's a little bit like tuning a radio, according to uh, Ziggy, isn't it? <laughs> so it fits in well for a radio-themed show, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time we're talking uh, live in person. We communicate usually over Facebook or text, Internet. I know. You're real people. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, right? I know. I mean, I know I can't touch you, but I can see and hear you, so that's amazing. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, because we have a music-themed show, I thought it might be a good uh, opportunity because I'm a maths teacher and a mathematician. I thought it might be interesting to talk about the actual maths of music. I would love to learn about that. Yeah, well, it's really quite astonishing that all music, even with all its passion and its emotion, is able to be expressed through mathematical relationships. Uh, in fact, without any maths and without the good old Pythagoreans back in ancient Greece, we wouldn't have any music at all. That's awesome. <laughs> I know, it's it's amazing and it's been for thousands of years and we've been able to tweak it a little bit and make life a bit easier on ourselves. But yeah, essentially it's the same basic ideas from all those thousands of years ago. So uh, just to get us going, um, there's a lot of different definitions of mathematics, but uh, to me, I think it's the use of logic, numeracy, patterns, and structure so that we can model and make sense of the world and solve our problems. Um, Would you agree with that sort of a definition? Oh, yeah. Since a lot of our listeners would only know music from what they listen to, some of them might not know how to read music. So um, I'm one of those people. (laughs) I don't know how to read music. I can sing for... Like, I can hear it and kind of imitate it, but I cannot read music. Well, once you get used to the 
patterns that are being used and the fact that it's all just so a pattern and simple fractions, uh, it makes reading everything a lot easier. So let's just say you were going to create a tempo or a beat, like something like this, for example. As long as you keep it constant, then you could denote that on a staff as simply some vertical bars. They'd all be the same distance. And every note that's played or that we want to write down has a duration and a pitch associated with it. So the duration is actually determined by how many of those type of notes will fit into a bar. So I actually quite like the way the Americans call their notes because in a lot of the parts of the world, um, the, the notes called semi-breeze, minims, crotches, quavers, they don't really tell us a lot about the notes themselves. But uh, the biggest type of note that you could write down just looks like an oval, and that's the semi-breeze, a bit like a semi-trailer, a very big note. Um, but the Americans call it a whole note, which makes a lot of sense because it can take up a whole bar. Yeah, I've heard of a whole note, but that makes it a little bit easier. Maybe us Americans just kind of dumb it down a little bit. <laughs> well, that could be the case. I don't want to insult anyone. <laughs> and then the next one, which in most parts of the world is called a minimum, the Americans call a half note, which means that it takes up the amount of time that half a bar would take up, or if you like, two of these notes would fit to a bar. And then the next one, which is the crotchet, or a quarter note, takes up a quarter of the bar, or four of those in a bar. And the next one's an eighth note, and then a sixteenth note, and a thirty-second note, and you can go on as far as you like like that. So really, the, the different pictures that you're seeing are just basically telling you what fraction of the bar is being used up, and then it's actual position on the staff determines its pitch. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes it easier when you explain it that way. So you can read music very well then? Uh, yeah, I was very lucky. I was in a choir when I was much, much younger and they taught me basically how to read music really well and the, the intricacies of the theory of music, which really does come in handy when you're trying to just make up a little tune or something like that because there's uh, a lot of other things that go into making yourself a tune as well. While you were watching Blind Faith, were you able to read the music along while Sam was playing, and did it match? Uh, I didn't watch that carefully. I probably should, shouldn't I? I've seen it enough, haven't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might have to do that next time. It'd be funny yeah. if it didn't. <laughs> it would be. I don't know if they would ever do that, but then again, since it was filmed in um, low definition or standard definition, uh, they probably wouldn't be counting on us being able to read what's on the sheet, would, would they? <laughs> right. They'll be like, ah, oh, nobody will ever see that. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I might have to check that out for you and get back to you on that one. Well, thank you very much, Hayden, for explaining the mathematics of music. And uh, I followed you most of the way through. A little bit of the math got confusing for me, but I understand the concept a lot better. Well, that's it. And everyone will always find mathematics confusing to start with. It's how much you chip away at it that will determine how well you understand it. So if this really does interest you or any of our listeners, I would strongly advise going onto Google and having a look at what's available there. This show, Good Morning Peoria, is also about peaceful protest. Uh, I heard there was some protest going on in Australia recently. That's exactly right. The last weekend, over the whole weekend, there were a total of 32 protests around the country. They were all started as a grassroots movement 
by a group of concerned citizens and it was all organised over social media. We had very little, I think next to no advertising at all. It's not affiliated with any political party or union or any other group and it was to pass on our message that we don't have any confidence in our federal government at the moment. What we're aiming to, to do is we want a government that shows decency, that uh, can be held accountable for their actions and is transparent. And at the moment, we don't have any of that, which is horrible. And I think, and so do the vast majority of people who do things for themselves, the government is in place to represent the people, not to represent a few people, like the richest people, which is what the, our government at the moment is representing best. And they also need to realise that they work for, for us. So if they don't do the right thing by us, they need to realise that they're going to get voted out. They were peaceful protests. There were only two major incidents around the country. There weren't any arrests. Everyone was extremely well-behaved and friendly, and we are all united by this hope of removing this corrupt government that we've got. Uh, they drew record crowds. There were 120,000 people in total, uh, 50,000 of them in Melbourne alone, which was unbelievable to see. You haven't been to Melbourne before, have you? No, we haven't made it to Australia yet, but it's on the, it's on the itinerary. Well, just so that you can get a little bit of a picture of the magnitude, um, our railway system when we get into the city, is all underground. It's called the city loop because it loops around and then the trains can go back out to their respective lines. And Melbourne Central Station is underneath Melbourne Central Shopping Centre. So as we were on the train, I, I went with my mother um, because she's just as angry and uh, frightened about what they might do as I am. We were riding along on the train and we were wondering, this hasn't had any advertising. We don't know how well, this is going to go. I hope we get a few, a decent number of people coming through. And uh, we were very pleasantly surprised because we, when we went out of the shopping centre, because we had the, the rally was at the State Library, which is across from the shopping centre, the entire street was blocked off from the number of people there were. You had to push your way through just to be able to get closer to the front to see what was going on. It was amazing. Also, another defining characteristic of Melbourne is that we have a lot of trams. Um, I think in America you call them cable cars or trolleys, something like that. If you think of San Francisco, I think they show a lot of a lot of trolley cars in whatever background things they've got there. Well, we have something very similar in Melbourne. And, uh, yeah, there were so many people there that they all spread out onto the tram lines as well. And we actually halted the trams for a couple of hours, uh, which was unbelievable to see. And uh, then we walked from the State Library a couple of kilometres to our state parliament house and treasury gardens where there was another rally there. And there were so many people that by the time the people at the front of the march were reaching the uh, state parliament house, there were still people waiting to leave the march at the state library, which is unbelievable. Unfortunately, though, we didn't get a lot of media coverage. It was good in Melbourne, obviously, because we had so many people show up, a good 50,000, which would sell out some of our sporting arenas, if there were that many people. Uh, so that was covered on all of our TV stations that night. But nationally, the media coverage was abysmal. Really, these rallies rivaled the Vietnam protests back in the 70s. But there was next to no media coverage at all, aside from Melbourne, which was horrible because there was, what, another 70,000 people in total around the country who showed up. 
it's unfortunate there's a massive media bias towards our government. Uh, in fact, the only reason they're in power is because of the bias that was shown through News Limited. Um, I don't really want to get into a lot of the background behind that because I don't want to defame anyone. But let's just say the bias of the media is the reason that this government is in power and they're obviously trying not to report anything which is going on that will discredit the government that we've got at the moment. But if anybody is interested, uh, I don't know if we've got many Australian listeners, but if we do, and if you are as mad about all the government policies we've got at the moment, I've got a short list. Things like dredging and dumping in the Great Barrier Reef, which is one of the seven natural wonders of the world. Things like removing the protection of Tasmania's forest. That was World Heritage listed, but that's being removed because they want to log some of it. Um, the culling of sharks, the removal of um, our national broadband network. The previous government had started putting into place new infrastructure projects so that we get fibre optic broadband throughout the country. Unfortunately, the coalition decided that was far too expensive, so they stopped a lot of that. Cuts to healthcare, um, trying to bring in co-payments for visiting the doctor, which is a way to reduce Medicare, and we're certain that they want to get rid of it. Uh, cuts to education, cuts to childcare funding. I don't know if you've heard through the world news about how our asylum seekers are being turned around and sent offshore for processing, but at these camps, the treatment of the asylum seekers is quite inhumane, which uh, we're, we're also protesting strongly over. Cuts to disability funding, the closing down of our automotive industry and several other industries in the country, so massive job losses. Um, removing the renewable energy initiatives in favour of more coal mining, denying climate change, less benefits for our Indigenous people, refusing to allow same-sex marriage, um, trying to give less power to our unions, taking our penalty rates, trying to impose more religious ideology into our schools, and also the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I don't know if any of you have heard of that. It might be a bit better publicised in America, but the Trans-Pacific Partnership is where a group of very powerful corporations trying to come into an agreement with a lot of Pacific countries' governments to give them more powers. So, for example, if some of our laws protected our environment, but at the same time affected this corporation from being able to do the business it wants to do and from being able to do to get a lot of profit from it, then they'd be legally able to sue our government for the laws which protect ourselves and our um, and our environment. So it's really obvious that our government is not looking out for the interests of the people. It's only looking out for the interests of the privileged. If anyone is interested, then I would advise you to go onto Facebook and search for March in March 2014. These first protests were only the first stepping stone. We're wanting to do more marches and we're wanting to do boycotts of the media and lots of other things. So if you stay on the Facebook page, then you'll receive more news there. And try and take what you read in the mainstream media with a grain of salt. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to talk as long as I did there, but there's it's basically too many issues and not enough uh, airtime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fine. It's uh, very interesting, and uh, it was nice to hear uh, the perspective of what's going on from somebody who actually lives there. The protests were covered on our media in the United States here. We did see a bunch about it. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's really interesting that this government 
a lot of the rest of the world is realising what they're doing and they're the laughing stock of the world at the moment, which I don't like because Australia is one of the greatest nations in the world um, and we don't want to see it turned into a fascist nation. Absolutely. If you go onto Google and look up the 14 characteristics of fascist governments, they studied several fascist governments, and 14 things that were put into place as they were getting into power, it's really quite scary because a good 13 of them, this government's already done. So Scary. It is very scary. So that's why we're protesting. We don't want to see that happen to our country. And uh, that's what this episode of Quantum Leap was all about, peaceful protest. I know. It's all about people power, power to the people. Now, I don't know you've been doing music over this uh, episode, haven't you? Yes, uh, we've been playing uh, cuts from the Quantum Leap soundtrack. Yep. Well, I've got a request because music is so good at uh, being able to help teach people things because it's in mind. I was wondering if you'd be able to play for me uh, from Quantum Leap, Dean Stockwell singing his alphabet rap. Oh, yes, I love that one. We'll play that one. Fantastic. And hopefully some of our younger listeners might learn the alphabet from it. In a big white room, you're a monster mind of the future. Moving fast, don't let the future pass. Stand up and say, I'm pleased to meet you. Now you're my man, I'm a fan. You got to understand that you got the power to write, to read. You know it's guaranteed. Plant the seed and you get the flower. Say it. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X. It's a beat, you living on the street, it's the mind's revolution. Be down, be cool, nobody's gangster fool. You got the master solution. Cause you're my man, I'm a fan. You got to understand that you got the power to write, to read. You know it's guaranteed. Plant the seed, you get the flower. Say it! A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X. That was nice to talk to Hayden. Yeah. We have some feedback. We asked this question on our Facebook page. Last time we talked about our favorite episodes of Quantum Leap. Now we would like to know some of your least favorite episodes and why. Adrian Salerno said, The one where he leaped into a police officer who kept having those weird flashbacks. It was called Dreams. So I don't remember that one. So looking, looking (laughs) looking forward to seeing that when it comes up and seeing if it is bad or good. 
Jeff Stray said, I didn't like All Americans because I thought it uses every Hispanic stereotype there is. I don't think the writer of that episode even knows a Hispanic person. I must say, though, that the person who plays the Leapy's friend in that episode did the best job playing a real person. Other than that, I liked most of the episodes of the show. That might inform our viewing of that episode. It's coming up soon. I don't like that episode a little bit for another reason, but we'll get to that when we get to it. David Thane said, I was never a big fan of the Flying Saucer one. It went a bit silly then. Emily Pincher said the one where he leapt into Lee Harvey Oswald. Quantum Leap should have left alone real historical events. And then historical facts wouldn't have been merged with or usurped by someone's opinion about what might have happened but was never proven. For me, I really like that episode. A lot of people like that episode that I've talked to. It got me into the whole Kennedy assassination conspiracy theory history genre. You're a conspiracy theorist, though. You know, I was for a long time and... uh Unfortunately, most of them have been proven not true, so it's not as fun when you realize that real life is just boring. But I enjoyed it enough for it to get me into other JFK-related things, and I learned a lot more about history because of it. Yeah, I mean, I just read 11-22-63, so I'm pretty open to interpretation of the events. Craig Drebbit didn't like Double Identity. He said the ending was horrible, and it included a kiss with history that made absolutely no sense. It made no sense for me either, because I don't remember it. I'd have to go back and watch that one again to see what he was talking about. MJ Cogburn's very least favorite of them all is when Sam leaped into a comic played by Bob Saget. I like the song that Sam sang in the show, but that's about it. Blick. That episode is season four, episode 21, Stand Up. It's got Bob Saget in it, so that kind of piques my interest. Yeah, it's weird to hear people's least favorite episodes because... It was way more fun to hear people's favorite episodes to look forward to. Well, I have to say, on the Facebook page, when we asked the favorites, comments, tons and tons and tons of comments, I couldn't include them all. It was very difficult for people to find their least favorite, and everyone seemed to say most, if not all, the episodes were good. Yeah. I'd say there's more good episodes than bad episodes. Right. That's good that it's hard for people to think of a bad episode. And uh, Mark Wallace Graham, I'm going to paraphrase what he says to not be too spoilery, but uh, his least favorite episode is The Wrong Stuff. But we won't get to that until season four. Oh, okay. Yeah, no spoilers for me. I try to keep you unspoiled. We have a very little bit of trivia for this episode, but uh, Heather, could you share that with us? Sam meets Chubby Checker in the lobby of the radio station, right? And does his little twist move and everything. Well, that was in September of 1959, and Chubby Checker's The Twist wasn't released until summer of 1960 and it reached number one of september of 1960 so that's a little off but to their defense the radio station wasn't going to play it but they did because sam said so so come on baby let's do the twist yeah so uh, in their defense that one i i'm gonna let slide because sam i think altered that because they weren't gonna play it so they got a leap on it (laughs) you see what i did there see what you did (laughs) Um, also when Sam comes into work on time and his hair's all wet, like the second later, his hair's dry, like the next scene. It's hard to have hair continuity in television and film when two scenes or even two shots can be shot hours, if not days apart. That's a little, I didn't even catch that one, but I, now that I know it. You won't be able to not see it now. Right. And uh, I think that's it for trivia. Yep. We have a little bit of news. If you haven't heard yet, Scott Bakula has just been cast to play the lead in NCIS New Orleans. Guess we're going to be watching that one, huh? I haven't seen any episodes of NCIS, really, but I look forward to starting with New Orleans and supporting Scott Bakula. There's been some pictures of them filming on the set. And one cool thing that happened was a couple was getting married in New Orleans and Scott Bakula just happened to be walking through the alley 
that they were taking their wedding photos in, and he stopped and took wedding photos with them. So they got really excited, posted on Instagram that Scott Bakula blessed their wedding. How awesome is that? That makes me want to go to New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, right? I want to meet Scott Bakula. Me too. I look forward to watching that. It's really cool that Scott Bakula and Donald P. Belisario hooked back up. Yeah, I've watched NCIS. I've seen the regular one and the Los Angeles one, and I like both of them. I like the style of the show, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. I know of it. I've seen it when I visit my mom. Your mom watches it. All the time. So I, I know Mark Harmon's on it. I know there's like a punk chick that dresses cool, you know, but that's the extent of what I know. But I will watch every episode of the new one. Are you guys excited? I'm excited. Yay. Next time on the Quantum Leap Podcast, we are talking about Thou Shalt Not. Rabbi. No. Oy vey, I'm the rabbi. Al, what I'm missing is why I'm here. I mean, I came here for more than lunch, didn't I? Yeah. Sure, you came here for her. Her who? Her, her. Irene? She's about to destroy her life. In 36 hours, she's going to ruin her life by having a one-night stand. Yeah. Her husband finds out, and it destroys the marriage, and her daughter never gets over it. In fact, for the first time in 22 years, I've been thinking about having an affair. They'd lost a son. This family was being torn apart because no one wanted to deal with Danny's death. Ah. My God, it's me. I'm Irene's lover. That's going to be an interesting episode. Oh, oy vey, I'm a rabbi. (laughs) I have no idea what to expect. I remember it a little bit, but not much. So it's going to be all brand new for me. And it'll be interesting to see what it's about. It's going to be all brand new for me, too. Every time. Yeah. See, every once in a while I get to an episode where I don't quite remember it. So it'll, it'll be exciting. That about wraps it up for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. We would just like to thank our sponsors for this episode, Mr. Joey's Charter Boat and Salon. And our main sponsor, Canpakes, Pancakes in a Can. The last song is a fan favorite from Quantum Leap. A lot of people requested it. And uh, it's going out to everybody, including Andrew Garber, who was the first. It's Georgia on my mind. Oh, I like that song. Until next time, this is Albie. And this is Heather. Keep on leaping on. Georgia. Georgia. The whole day through Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind Georgia on my mind I said a Georgia Georgia a song of you comes as sweet and clear. It 
is moonlight through the pines Other arms reach out to me Other eyes smile tenderly Still in the peaceful dreams I see The road leads back to you I said, Georgia Oh, Georgia No peace I find Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind Other arms reach out to me Other eyes smile tenderly Still in Peaceful dreams I see The road leads back to you Whoa, Georgia Georgia No peace, no peace I find Just an old sweet song Georgia on my mind I said just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. Go to quantumleappodcast.com to listen to new episodes. The Quantum Leap Podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal TV. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to get behind-the-scenes information, exclusive content, and to be notified first when a new episode is available. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, Baron Space Productions, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, researched by Juan. The Quantum Leap Universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal TV. No infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a barren space production. Say what you want to say and let the words fall out. Honestly. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> You can only go up from here, right? Where do we go from here? <laughs> hey, at least he's not saying the carousel of progress, guys. It's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. <laughs> How's the rest of it going? I'm not telling you. It's getting hot in here, so take off all your clothes. Hey, we're like incorporating a lot of songs in today's episode, aren't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Sorry to everybody who has to listen to our singing voices. 